The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you, Abby. She's so dope. <laughs> Learning a whole new vocabulary from Abby. Thanks so much. And I appreciate the worship team. That was just, that was awesome. That was great. Better than me. Um, happy Friday 13th, everybody. Uh, what does that even mean? I don't know. I've never had a... My dad was born on Friday the 13th, so it was bad luck for me, not for him. Um, Monday, Dr. Williams spoke with us, building on our year verse, the Psalm 25.4. Uh, Teach me your ways, O Lord. Help me to walk in your paths. That idea of walking a different path, that intentionality. And then he just uplifted us with that scripture passage there, uh, passing by the field of a sluggard, the vineyard of someone lacking sense, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber. What uplifting stuff uh, to talk about. But the challenge uh, of living that life, living that Christian life, uh, takes intentionality, it takes purpose, it takes discipline, but at the same time, we need to stay within Uh, the context of God's mercy and his grace. It's not us getting out in front of God. It's us walking in partnership with him, empowered by our grace. And so uh, that idea, that challenge from that proverb needs to be understood in context. When I was in college, uh, I met with a professor, a couple other guys, and myself. Uh, And the professor challenged us kind of right out of the gate. You guys want to grow in your Christian walk is that what you want to do? Is that what you're here for? And it's like, duh. You know, I didn't get up at 6 o'clock to come just for breakfast. I can do that later. And so he shared with us Proverbs 13.4, which says, The soul of the sluggard seeks and finds nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. And we talked about that for a little while. But the point is, this Christian life, it's hard you have to discipline yourself. You've got to want it, and you've got to make that effort. But it's also easy because of what God has done for us, the provision that has been made for us in Christ. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about one aspect of pursuing that different path of walking differently, and that's prayer. And prayer is one of the hardest, easy things to do in your Christian life. How hard is it to pray? It's not hard. How hard is it to pray? It can be really hard to make the time to pray. And so I want to talk with you about that this morning. And just an illustration uh, from my years as a, uh, as a dad early uh, when my kids were young uh, is, is a picture that I like to hold on to of prayer. Uh, there were a few years that uh, we lived on campus, uh, the school that I worked at, had a road towards the back, and there were 12 houses for faculty and staff. And because of my role, uh, Patty and I lived in one of those houses, and my uh, kids were all born while we were in that house. And so uh, it was great. I'd get off work at 5, and at 5.02, I'd walk in my front door. And that was pretty nice most of the time. It also meant I was really close when students came by and wanted this or that. But one of the joys that I had in doing that is when I would come home, Patty would be getting supper ready and it was 
kid time for me. And so especially when Amy and Katie were little, uh, I'd get in my blue recliner, they'd climb up in my lap, and I just kind of would snuggle with them, and we would talk about the day of what was going on. And then when my son was born, uh, I remember just so vividly, uh, my son had a freckle on the side of his finger, and he thought that was wrong, that it was an owie. And so we'd come home, and we'd talk, and he would show me his thing, and I'm like, does it hurt? And he'd be like, like that. And so I'd get a Band-Aid, and I'd put that Band-Aid on Nathan's little finger, and all was right with the world. Um, I, I think about that sometimes. You know, was Nathan's little freckle important in all the important things that I had done all day long, uh, other responsibilities that I had, coming home in the evening, things to think about, our budget, bills, and all those things. Nathan's little freckle was meaningless. Absolutely not. In the moment, in the time, it was the most important thing. And so um, my son would be embarrassed out of his mind if I was, he knew I was telling this. Uh, but that mattered. And so I picture my relationship with God and my opportunity to pray with him and some of the trivial things that I bring before God. And like that little freckle, God reassures me, he says, your life matters. Everything about you matters. Everything that God, I mean, we're talking creator, almighty God, he cares about those little freckles that I have in my life. Now, I realize that image that I have for some of you might be extremely difficult. The home that you grew up in, that picture isn't there. But one thing I want you to understand and I want you to realize is God's love for you. John 3, 16, 17, one of those verses we know extremely well. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but will have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world would be saved. That's the love that he has. And then those verses that Abby read, they're just kind of a, a selection of verses at the end of Romans 8 there. What can separate us? from the love of God, nothing. And Paul is convincing and pleading with the Roman, the church in Rome, do you understand neither height nor depth, principalities, nothing is gonna be able to separate you from the love of God. If you have given your heart to him, he has it and it is sealed with a promise and his love comes with that. And so that picture that I painted for you, my thought of prayer is just one. And I don't mean to make it sound casual uh, or to treat it too lightly, um, but it really is a conversation with our Father. Uh, he is the creator. He is the almighty God. But at the same time, we understand that, that we have been purchased, that adoption it talks about, that we can call him Abba, Father, that intimate relationship that we can have with him. Well, there's other ways in Scripture that prayer is explained. Timothy, as he's talking with uh, Paul in that correspondence that they have, and Timothy is encouraging people. I want, or Paul's encouraging people. I want men everywhere with lifted hands to be praying without anger and without quarreling. Um, Christ, when he is explaining prayer to the disciples, uh, he gives a story right before that. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues 
and they cry out to be heard by other people. He says, they've got their reward right there, right then. But when you pray, I want you to go into your room, close the door, and your father that hears you in secret will meet with you there, and he will answer you in secret. And so there's different ways in Scripture that we see prayer happening. I think the important thing is that we pray. Not so much the how, but that we are praying. Now let's look at a couple prayers in the Bible and see what we can learn from that. First one, Luke 18. We see in there a parable that Jesus is teaching the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is there in prayer. He cries out, oh Lord, remember Jesus talking about the hypocrites. They love to be heard by everybody else. Thank you that I'm not like these other people, these extortioners, these robbers, these adulterers, even this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like that. I do this, I do that. And it's all this, ooh, hoity-toity that this guy's praying about. I don't even think he knows that he's praying to God. I think he's just trying to peek around and see who's watching me, do that kind of stuff. And then the tax collector doesn't even want to address God because understands who he is in the presence of Almighty God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Another time, uh, Luke 8, Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter. You're thinking, wait a minute, Rick, you just talked about Jesus in a parable, and now you're talking about these people coming to Jesus. That's not prayer. Those aren't prayers. When they're coming and they're talking to Jesus, to me, that kind of sounds like a prayer. Just Jesus happens to be there physically and not out there. But when this woman with the issue of blood comes, her mindset is if I can just touch part of his cloak, I can be healed. Jairus' daughter is sick, and so he had, right before this encounter with this woman, he had rushed to Jesus and said, come, my 12-year-old daughter is sick. Would you come be there for her and make her better? I need you. And on the way, stopped by this woman, and then Jesus finishes this encounter telling her, woman, your faith has healed you. And so they moves on to go to Jairus' daughter, and they get there, and right before they get there, someone says, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's died. And so Jesus comes in, and uh, if you've watched The Chosen this last week, this episode was portrayed there in The Chosen, uh, and just the tension that the synagogue ruler, Jairus, and like, what's going on? You see this conflict that's there coming into the mourners, and then Jesus telling the mourners, don't mourn. She's not dead. She's simply sleeping and them laughing at Jesus. You have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus ushering them out and then raising the daughter. Something different about this guy that they saw. Who is this Jesus? They didn't have this beautiful theological understanding of who Jesus was. There's something different. I need him. And so they had come to them uh, with this mindset uh, that I need you. And so thinking about who they are and the way that they came, how does that inform us in our prayer? Well, first of all, they recognize Jesus' authority. This guy had been doing miracles. He had been healing people. He'd been casting out demons. 
what is there about this guy? I don't know, but I need him now. That understanding that there is authority, there is power in this person, and I need, need that. They came in faith. Jesus acknowledged their faith, their belief, and encouraged them with, in that end that we need to have faith in prayer. Not a sophisticated faith. I don't even know what a sophisticated faith is, but it's this raw, believing faith that says, God, I can't do it without you showing up. I'm stuck. And then they were honest. Here's an outcast woman and a synagogue ruler. How different could they be? But both of them came to Jesus in a way that we should probably model. What are my prayer heavies? When have I just been stuck and come to Jesus like that? A couple things in my times in my life. Uh, and they may seem trivial to you, um, but remember the freckle. <laughs> Three weeks before college was done, Patty and I had been hanging out. We weren't really dating. She didn't really want to date. And so every time we went out together, I got this story that we're just friends. So three weeks before college is done, we went out to have the talk. It was a horrible talk. <laughs> because I asked if there was a future, and she said no. Obviously, it worked out okay. <laughs> so I can tell that story today. But that night was not a good night. I remember I was at Bryan College in Tennessee. There's this place, big grass field. They called it the Grassy Bowl because it looked like a bowl. I laid in the bottom of that. I lived off campus, so I didn't have curfew like everybody else did. I laid in the bottom of that, looking up and just being like, oh, I don't even know what to say. That was one time. Another time I think I shared this is when Amy, my oldest, uh, she was about a year and a half old. She wasn't walking yet, and some of the development wasn't there. The pedia, pediatri, pediatrician, I can say that, uh, asked us to go get a CAT scan. Concerned that Amy might have had hydrocephalitis, water on the brain, and that was... And I, if I'd shared that before, I apologize, but I took my daughter in. Amy could, or Patty couldn't go back with me. She was pregnant with Katie. And so I take this little girl and I put her in this big machine uh, wondering what the outcome is going to be, and I had nothing to say to God. God, a year and a half ago when she was born, I was the champion. Look what I had created, this girl, my pride and my joy, and there I am. I got nothing. I'm nothing. I'm crying out to God. Katie, my middle daughter, more recent, two years ago, called Patty and I in tears one evening. Her husband, Oren, had left her. And I'm dad. But on that wedding day, I gave away my authority to Oren. And now he had waylaid my daughter. And so with all of those emotions that you can imagine, I went to God and didn't say a thing. <laughs> I just cried. 
what am I going to do? Buy a plane ticket, go up there and beat the snot out of that guy? I probably couldn't. He would take me probably pretty easily. But all of those emotions, what do we do in those moments? And you've had those times, I'm sure, when we feel hopeless, helpless, and God doesn't seem to be paying attention. He is. But it sure doesn't feel like it to us. Well, we read in Romans 8, Abby read those verses. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's hard sometimes to remember that truth when you're in the midst of those circumstances. You have to fight for that. That's where we come in that raw faith of like, ah, Lord, doesn't feel like it at all, but it says it in your word. Lord, I want to cling to that. Help me cling to that. But it also says this a little bit earlier in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For in this hope, and the hope is that eternity, what Jesus has done for us. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then here's a beautiful section. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we know not what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love the focus on eternity that's in that passage. Now, I'm going to have to confess, in those three instances that I talk to you right there, I lost sight of the eternal perspective. I was caught in the moment. I was helpless and hopeless. And for a brief moment of time, I, I lost that eye on eternity. But that's where the hope comes from, keeping our eyes fixed on what Jesus has made available to us as we pray. Another area where we struggle, it's hard for us, is the Christian life. And I would venture to say that if you want to walk a different path and you don't have a life of prayer, you're not going to be very good at walking a different path. You need that. We're not going to do well living the Christian life. Dr. Williams said it on Monday. If we're not living a life with intentionality and prayer needs to be a part of that. So what do we pray? I'm sure a lot of you have heard that Acts method of prayer. It's not mandated in Scripture, but it's modeled in Scripture, and it clearly teaches a lot of the things that are principle, the principles that we see in Scripture. A-C-T-S, adoration. Just first of all, acknowledging who God is. Remember, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus. Who is this guy? Who are you? You are not just a teacher. You are something so far beyond the teachers of the day. And so we see in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name, this lifting up of his name. So this adoration, confession, again in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. James calls us to confess our sins to one another. And in that, I would say, probably need to confess, 
Confess them to, Lord, to the Lord as well. He says, the effect and fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. This prayer that we need to have, confessing, and then the understanding and the promise from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So adoration, confession, the T, thanksgiving. Uh, Paul, you look through his prayers constantly thanking God in his remembrance for the people that he's ministering to, the people that are in ministry with him. Thanks is spread out throughout the Psalms. You see this thanksgiving that's there. And so we need to be giving God thank you uh, for all that he's done for us. And then supplication, pouring out our heart to God. What is on our heart and mind? Where do we need him? And so again, uh, in Matthew 6, give us our daily bread. Uh, Paul, uh, often praying for those needs of the people, but he prays for these deep spiritual things that uh, I think it's important for us to understand in the content of our prayers. Scripture is an incredible resource we, when we want to pray. Sometimes we think, what do we pray? Well, the Bible's got all kinds of stuff for us to pray. There's prayers recorded for us. We see the heart of Jesus for people. Uh, we've got commands and exhortations throughout Scripture that we're called to do, and we need help to do them. So why not take some of those passages and pray them right back to God? Let me just go through three of them real quick, just, just to read them and think about them. Philippians 1, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Ephesians chapter 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the, in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In that passage, there's some great things to pray about your spiritual growth, but the way that it closes and the next one, Colossians 1, they both close based on these things that Christ has done and what is going on in the heavenlies while that's going on. And it is a great way to look and see what God wants to do in us growth-wise, but then to acknowledge and give thanks for the resources and the power to do and be what he's called us to be. And so Colossians 1, I know that I've shared this one with you, this is my favorite. And Paul says, so from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfast, steadfastness and patience with joy 
giving thanks to the Father. And then it goes on, all that he has done, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Great passages to look at and say, what is Paul praying for them? How can I turn around and say, Lord, would you build that in me? Lord, would you build that in my roommate? Lord, would you build that within my teammates? Other people, how do you pray that prayer? I think I mentioned uh, teaching in the prison. Uh, and we would just spend a day talking about prayer. And then uh, we had a three-hour long class. And so we would take an hour and the guys would go out with all these different passages that talk about praying for one another. And they would just think that through and then we'd come back and we would pray for one another, just inserting names of those different guys and praying those things for them. Just saying, all we're gonna pray is God's word right back to him. What a powerful thing. I'm gonna close our time a little bit differently. I wanna invite us all to pray. So I'm gonna set my little timer here on my phone for three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes is not a very long time. For some of you, it will seem like 25. But I want us to pray silently and I want you to bear in mind some of the principles we've heard from the Bible today. I'm gonna to put a slide up with some different passages of scripture that you can turn to. And I don't want our prayer time to be a Google search time, a chat time, a text time all those kinds of things. So look at that, and if something comes to you, uh, get one of those verses in your Bible, call it up on your phone. Um, but here's what I want you to remember and frame your prayer around. Pray in faith, believing that God can see you through whatever seems uh, overwhelming. Be humble. Are all your prayers focused on yourself? You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you can spend it on your own pleasures. James challenges us with that. Be honest. Come on, God already knows your heart already. <laughs> so just tell it. Pray with an eye on eternity. Earth and all of its junk is temporary. Our life with him is eternal. And because of this, pray with meaning. Are you really praying for the important things? That's why we've got some scripture up there. And so this is an open book test. Use your Bible now as we pray. I really, really encourage you to do that. Um, and so uh, let's just take three and a half minutes to pray. And then at the close of that time, uh, I'll pray. And we'll be on our way. So. Let's all pray silently, and then I'll wrap us up. Father, we thank you for who you are. We understand that you are so far beyond our comprehension and who you really are, yet you care about the freckles on our little fingers. Lord, we are a school with wants, needs, hurting people, circumstances that are overwhelming, people that are straying from you, people making choices that they shouldn't make, people hurting one another with their words. We need you. And for many, sometimes, Lord, 
seems overwhelming to try and do what we need to do, what you've called us to be. So, Lord, help us to be a people of prayer, even as your disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to understand and never be hindered by a feeling that you are mad at us, that we won't come because of the guilt or the shame that's on us. Lord, may the truth of the scripture that nothing can separate us from your love, may that drive us to you regardless of what we need to bring, knowing that in that confession, you wash us clean and you forgive and you put that aside and you walk with us just like you your very own child. So guide us through this semester, Lord, as we are challenged to walk that different path, that we would make that effort knowing that in that effort we're supported by your mercy and grace and that empowering work of the Spirit within us. Help us to not get out in front of you, Lord, with our effort, but out of our love and devotion to you to cherish the time that we have to curl up with you and just tell you exactly what's on our heart. Lord, give us the perspective. Uh, teach us as we pray, Lord, to pray better. Uh, I think we would all confess that we're students of prayer. And so help us to that end. Thank you for first loving us and accepting us unconditionally. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Use us as your people. And I pray that all that we do, Lord, would express our love for you and honor you in all that we do. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I would encourage you all, think about small groups, discipleship coordinators. I know Abby sent an email out about the University Ministry Center. Think about that connection if you need to grow in prayer. So have a good one.